Computer, initialize Holosuite. to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat about everything Starship The Next Generation. We're your hosts, Baz Green and Jeff Owen. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back. Hi, Baz. Good to be here. This is our first full podcast talking about Starship The Next Generation. So for those who may have listened earlier, we had a teaser. We basically quizzed each other about our love of Next Generation, gave a bit of flavour, hopefully, of kind of what we're going to talk about. And this is our first full podcast, the first of a monthly release we're going to talk about everything from the show. So as you discussed in the teaser, this is going to be a mix of episode lookbacks, looking at particular characters, particular themes and ideas running for the show. It's a bit more than just an episode by episode lookback. And in, the, in this one, we're going to be talking really about the pilot episode because the podcast is called Beyond Farpoint and you can't go beyond that until we actually look at the Farpoint station itself the uh, and, and encounter of Farpoint as the episode so that's what we're here for really today so Jeff and I we're, we're going to talk about a bit more about our love of the show and then we're going to get into the uh, pilot itself yeah looking forward to it definitely so um Last time in our teaser, we actually asked ourselves some quite challenging questions. We 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 went from our favourite episode of film. I think we both agreed it was um, yesterday's Enterprise and a Star Trek First Contact. That was unanimous, mm-hmm. uh, and we had some good uh, guilty pleasures as well. So yours was <laughs> Genesis. Yeah, I'll I'll die on that hill. Yeah, for me it's it's rascals with the uh, transport accident with kids. You know that's got to be fun, surely. So, uh, and that's it. We said before we is the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to talk about the good episodes, but we're also going to talk about some of the weaker ones as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to jump around. Yeah. Mm. Next month isn't going to be the naked now, and then carrying on. You know, we're going to avoid things like justice potentially for for quite a while, and we're going to talk about some. What about shades of grey? Oh, we could talk about Shades of... When we, when we feel like we need a clip show, we can do Shades of Grey, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we could do our own Shades of Grey as well. So, you know, if uh, two years down the line or whatever, we we can't afford to make an episode, we'll just play best bits of our podcast up until then. Oh, I like it. So, yeah, we, we talked a bit about Next Generation last time. I guess the one thing we didn't really talk about is about Next Generation itself. What is it about Next Generation that we love? Well, I'll I'll go on. I'll start off with it. Go um, on then, go for it. <laughs> um, Next Generation was kind of my first Star Trek. Um, I would get home from school, and I know that my uh, my gran would be quite a big fan of the original show. Um, she would be watching it when I'd be coming home from school. Um, and I've never been able to figure out what time of day that was because I've never been able to find any sort of... Um, reruns in the uk at that sort of time but um i know she used to be quite a big fan of uh, fan of the original series um i wasn't i was too young at the time to really appreciate it i was waiting for the next episode of night rider or waiting for the cartoons <laughs> to come on um but um i then saw i think it was the voyage home and then i heard that there was a new next uh, sorry a new star trek coming up called next generation 
it took the UK a good few years before we saw it on TV. Um, but um, I remember renting Encounter at Farpoint and then, funnily enough, Data Law and okay. eagerly awaiting the chance to watch it. But uh, it's... It's my first one. So while it's not my favourite of the Star Trek series, it's my first one. It's a very, very special place in my heart. I do remember back in the kind of 80s, 90s, watching the um, the original series. I think they, were, they repeat on BBC Two. I think I caught someone there. BBC Two was the home of Star Trek, wasn't it? Like a lot of cult, cult TV. And um, I do remember the next generation, I was kind of... There, it was. I think it was about three or four years, wasn't it, before it came to the UK? It was exactly the early nineties, and it started in eighty seven. So, nineteen ninety time, nineteen ninety. There you go. So three years almost to actually yeah. get over the UK, which even for a US show is quite a long time. Yeah, I do. I do remember some of those early ones. Next Generation for me was always one of those that I kind of fitted in and out. Um, I guess a lot of Star Trek's been like that. Really, I've only kind of sat down and rewatched the series from beginning to end as an adult. I I did start with some of the original series, but Next Generation was much more more modern you know more for our time and there, and there are so many great episodes and uh, uh like you ds9 is is my favorite i think mm-hmm. but i think the good work that ds9 does is all built on the foundation of, of next generation star trek next generation expands on on the premise of the original series you know expands on the alien races and the cultures and starfleet and takes things bigger and better and has um i guess lose some of maybe the hokiness of the original series which i guess some people might like but i think it's also it's got some really in-depth storytelling when you've got things like dharma and chain of command and family and so on intertwine with some of the more kind of fun episodes there it's um it's there's such a variety and such a richness to the show that i think um for me it's like if i was to recommend any of the series as what is star trek it would be mm. the next generation yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think, weirdly, Next Generation is probably more Star Trek than Star Trek, the original series. Mm, yes. Um, but um, it, it's very strange as well, because you can go and watch Next Generation. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel dated. Um, no, you go in, really. Uh, you know, you watch some of the um, HD uh, episodes and... I have to remind myself sometimes that the actors in there are like 20, 30 years older now. Um, And you see some of the actors on Next Generation on other things and you think, oh, how did you get so old? Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) It's been that long. But but, but yeah, it's um, when you said about the richness of it, you should have said Tapestry, by the way. Yes, of course. Different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so what was the one thing that TNG did better than any other Star Trek show? Um, exploration. I think with the original series, um, they obviously had the spirit of exploring the unknown. And Next Generation just took it to that extra level. It brought the Klingons in as regular good guys, if you could say, in it. And they'd obviously been long adversaries of the original series. But yeah, the spirit of hopefulness, the spirit of adventure, everything is there in Next Generation. And there's a lot of working together. Now, I know that the writers and that have said that writing Star Trek The Next Generation wasn't easy because Gene Roddenberry didn't want conflict between Mm. crew members. Um, But obviously with Deep Space Nine, Voyager and everything since, there's been a lot more conflict and it makes for for good drama. But you could... 
but yeah, it's uh, it's very much a, a series about how you get into the future by working together. Sorry, does that sound really cheesy? It does, but Star Trek is, is the is the ideal future when everyone works together and and there, there's there's harmony and you know there's no exclusion and it's kind of it, the idea of Star isn't it essentially is the better version of humanity we always want to be. I think that's what the original one had. And if Next Generation feels more con- is a natural continuation of that. So I, I, I don't necessarily think it, it is a bit cheesy, but then the, the concept is, is but like, maybe we're so jaded. Whereas we record this, we're still in the coronavirus pandemic and we've, got, we've had to send Trump out and Brexit. You have so and all the things that goes on. You think, actually, it, it maybe we're a bit, bit jaded by life now the idea mm. of everyone working together and being harmonious feels like this radical cheesy idea but it's not i think that's what i like about about uh about um, star trek and uh, i think yeah next generation does that it's something that you can put on and think yes we can get to this point in the future if, absolutely yeah. if we just put aside our differences yeah, no, I agree, and I think it's that expansion, expansion, and yeah, the exploration, but also, you know, the work it did with the Romulans and the Klingons, and it set up things like the Bajorans, the Cardassians for DS Nine, and and the Marquis uh, for Voyager, and the, and the Marquis. Yeah, it's, we we do like DS Nine because DS Nine took, did, did had that conflict and and expanded on some of the ideas, but it did it did it because of Next Generation. You wouldn't have a lot of the great stuff of DS Nine if Next Generation hadn't laid that such great foundation there as well. So, yeah, yeah I, I I think Next Generation expanded it and it did the character work, and I think that's something that comes into it probably like season three onwards when Rick Berman kind of took over. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they really went into the characters themselves. I think. Um, you had great characters in the original, like Spock and McCoy and Kirk, obviously, but I think there was there was more development of, of the characters as the show, as the show went on. The Star Trek was about the characters we're watching rather than just the alien device or the the attack on the planet or whatever nebula or whatever was going on at the time. It was more than just that, so that was great. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing as well is obviously with Worf's journey through Next Generation. Mm it suddenly became an episode where things had repercussions further on. The original series did none of that. You know, you couldn't have something. I think Khan was about the only time that you had anything come back later on, and that was only because it was decided that that would make a good movie. Mm. Um, But, you know, you look at the first couple of years of Next Generation, and you see what happens to Worf, and then suddenly they, they talk about his dishonor, and his family and suddenly you've got not Mm. as not as ongoing storylines as you get nowadays with things like game of thrones or stranger things or whatever Mm. but you've got this ongoing thread of story where you can go oh yeah this is where wolf lost his honor this is where he meets his son this is where he rejoins um the klingon empire you know it's it was unusual in eighties and nineties television at the mm. time as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. And you get and the same, yeah, Picard and the trauma of the Borg and what happens, you know, and Data and his brother and his and his, his creator. There, there are these things that you know they do it. They do develop over over the course of the show. And I think, yeah, there's some there's some really phenomenal character work that go that is done that established there in Next Generation. Any missed opportunities with Next Generation? Um, yeah, there are a couple. Um, while we know very much about uh, Picard and how becoming Locutus have fe- uh, affected mm. him because we saw, obviously, what happened in Family. We saw 
it happened in first contact. We saw obviously what happened with him and mm. Seven of Nine in Star Trek Picard. But yeah. there's so many other things as well that happen to other crew members, and you just think, how are you not affected by this? Particularly, let's talk about Picard again. The inner light. He had mm. a whole lifetime of memories. Okay, yeah, he does play the Reskin flute afterwards. But why does he never talk about what happened to him on that planet after that episode? I think Next Generation is very episodic in nature. And I think there could, right, could have been more. There could have been, you know, we only ever had, at best we had two parters or maybe mm. three parters with family after best of both worlds. But family was quite a rare one, wasn't it? Quite a rare occurrence where you actually took the time to deal with the ramifications because even like things like the Klingon Civil War, it really centered around two episodes and done, where actually it could have been a lot, a lot, lot, lot bigger. But um, imagine that yeah. over half a season or something. Yeah, of course. I guess in some ways that's what some of DS Nine did really, and what things like um, Discovery have done now. Um, they, yeah. They've kind of taken those ideas, but yeah, I, th I think it was Next Generation brought in that continuation, that depth, and the character work, but it was still trapped by the episodic nature of kind of eighties, mm. nineties TV. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question then. You're saying Go about missed opportunities. What characters would you have liked to have seen come back that the potential was there for them to return on the show? Oh, number one is Sela. Or aliens, sorry. Yeah. I think I think Sela was such a great concept. We, we, we talked about it in our teaser. Yesterday's Enterprise was our favourite um, mm. favorite episode. And I loved how the ramifications of that episode resulted in Tashiyar's half woman and daughter and she was set up to be a great villain uh, and it never went anywhere she she was she was in that in the Klingon Civil War two part which, which was over too quickly she popped up a unification then she was gone you know imagine if she had been the villain in Nemesis I think that oh. would have been such a better way I, I do like Nemesis you know and a lot of people are kind of very disappointed by by the final film and there are some things which are disappointing absolutely you can't deny it but one of the ways it could be so much better is if Sela had been there. I would love her to be in Picard because, for me, the two two of the best things that Next Generation ever did was the development of the Romulans and the Borg. Mm -hmm. And I like how Picard took those and developed those. And I don't know if season two is going to continue on those or it's going to go in a completely different direction. And I'm kind of happy with either, really. But um, I would love to see what what happened to Celo afterwards. And I think she yeah. should have been a villain. She should have a, a full, full full circle moment when the daughter of the original character is now the villain of, villain of the other kind of final film. That would have had so much more impact. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think she would have, um, would have been a really inter interesting one. Um, yeah. It's, what, what, about, what about you? I always thought that the, uh, the creatures in conspiracy should have come back. Um, yes. Because at the end of the episode, you get that moment where the message is being sent off and they say, oh, we're going to see these again, or whatever the wording is. And then we never do. You know, we've not seen them across seven years of Next Generation, seven years of Voyager, Picard Lower Decks. We've mm. not seen them. I would so love to see those creatures <laughs> come back, maybe with better special effects, because I won't deny <laughs> that they are a bit stop motiony. But, you know, bring them back. And I think that would be a phenomenal storyline. That could have been great. I agree. Let's look at where it all began then. Let's look at Encounter at Farpoint. Now our 
not notify that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. That's quite a directive. So, Encounter at Farpoint is the uh, pilot episode of Star Trek Next Generation. It first aired on the 20th of September 1987 in the US and then 1990 in the UK. The pilot was written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry and directed by Corey Allen. In the pilot episode, it's the maiden voyage of the Enterprise D under the command of Captain Picard and en route to Farpoint Station to assess the, the this new station can be used by Starfleet. The encounter entity known as Q and find that humanity is on trial for its life for being a savagely human race. And throughout the course of the episode, Picard and the crew of the Enterprise D have to solve the mystery of Farpoint Station in order to prove to Q that humanity deserves to go beyond the stars. Mm-hmm. That's a nice roundup of the episode there. That's very, very, uh, very concise and tells the story pretty well, I think. There you go. We'll stop there. <laughs> okay, so what, what, what do you think of uh, Encounter at Farpoint? As I said earlier on, when I first saw it, it it, it was something that completely blew my mind. Um, looking back at it now, even though I said Star Trek Next Generation doesn't date, the first season does feel a little dated, sorry mm. to say. And there's there's bits about Encounter at Farpoint, which we'll get into later, which makes you think, yeah, it's it's... It's from a different time altogether. Things like when he says, notify the crew by printout. It sort of does feel a bit weird. But um, yeah, absolutely. It is a great launching point for Star Trek The Next Generation. And it told you what the show that you're watching is going to become. Uh, Certainly the first time I saw it, I wanted to see more. Yeah, there's a lot of ambition to that pilot, and there's there's stuff I've I've watched it a couple of times recently, um, ready for the podcast. And you write about the dating. I think season one in general. I've watched a few season one episodes recently, for the first time in quite a while actually, and it does feel like it's an, a continuation of sixty Star Trek. If you look, if you look at season six episode to season one episode, they're very different. Season yes. one and and. and Bit of season two, maybe, but it starts to get get a bit stronger. Feel very much like you can imagine this being almost a an episode of sixties Star Trek, mm. uh, or, or or that or the or the idea that this was a basically continuation of, of of those kind of stories. So it it does feel very dated, but it's got it's got a huge amount of ambition as well. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, just because we're saying that it looked dated doesn't mean that we hate them. It's um, because let's face it, we stuck with it, and um, eventually we got season three, season four, and then the absolute pure juggernaut of Star Trek that we had in the nineties and two thousands. I think the most successful part of the pilot is Q. I think Q is a wonderful addition to the to the show. He's he's such a great character, um, played such force by John Delancey, and I think mm-hmm. well, for that first half hour of Encounter at Farpoint. There are some cheesy moments and some all moments, but it's so well paced. It's really yeah. kind of tense, and the idea of Cupid and humanity on trial is a really, really interesting concept. Oh yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. Um, Q is—he's got that sort of present that he demands your attention straight away, and you know he appears on the bridge. He appears um, in that uh, sort of old. Uh, naval uniform grabs your attention 
and then he doesn't feel like he's getting through to them properly so he becomes the united states marine corps general then the what's the what's the other one that he becomes the, the futuristic drug taking uh Gundam soldier yeah from our near future say, yeah 21st century yeah which in hindsight reminds me of the jemadar i thought the same thing you know the idea of of soldiers controlled by drugs i thought it was such an interesting concept of the jemadar that i had completely forgotten that they actually have that idea right back in this kind of first episode uh, and then, of course, you see him um, in pretty much the form you see him for the rest of his appearances on Star Trek. And he puts on the captain's uniform um, yes. to be an equal to Captain Picard. And we see variations of it. Obviously, he changes his uniform when he sees Cisco but, uh, and mm. Janeway later on. But that's next month's episode. There's a fan theory, isn't he, that um, Trelane from the Squire of Gothos from the original series is actually is a Q as well. He feels very much like a very similar character. The other things I liked about it in the, the, the opening, that first shots of the Enterprise-D coming down over the screen and then zooming into Picard, the stepping out of the shadows um, on, in the ready room is such a gorgeous opening shot to start the show. I, I made exactly was... the same note <laughs> when I was re-watching yes. them. Um, it is a fantastic first view of the Enterprise. Um, and I kind of wish they, they'd done it as the cold open, so yes. that was the first shot you had of it. But obviously you'd already seen the Enterprise fly by during the opening credits, mm. but it would have been great if that was the very first time you saw the Enterprise is in that shot. I agree. I don't think you needed the music for the first one. It would have been a, would have been fantastic opening, but it it's such a, a beautiful ship. I mean, okay, here's a question. Enterprise D or Enterprise E, which is your favourite next-gen ship? Um, I'll have the externals of the Enterprise E with the internals of the Enterprise D. Good answer. That I, I completely agree. I love that. I love the look of the Enterprise E. But yeah, Enterprise Enterprise E is such a, is a really great. It's, it's my favorite Enterprise. But mm. the Enterprise D is such a big, majestic ship, and and it's shots like this, that opening shot of, of Encounter at Farpoint, which shows just how grand it is. It's such a big, grand, beautiful looking ship. It's a cruise liner. It's got yeah, children you, on board. You get a sense it must be a really wonderful place to be on. You know, if you're yeah. going to go travel on the stars, you want to go on the Enterprise-D on a Galaxy-class ship. It's such a lovely-looking look ship. The interiors of the Enterprise-D are just gorgeous. You, you, you'd you want to be on there. Um, yeah, less so, less so on the others, including the Enterprise-D. It's a bit more naval, isn't it? And I think you want, you want, to, want to be bit, on there, but yeah. Yeah, a bit more militaristic, the Enterprise-D. Yeah. But um, one other thing as well about the D, and you're saying about the cruise liner feel about it, is I always like the separation um, effect that you got. I mean, I know we're jumping ahead into the episode mm. now, but that always felt like it made sense because you, if it needed to go into those conflict situations, mm. that's great. You put all of the families and children and what have you on the saucer section, send that mm. to safety, and then you take the star drive section in, which has got all the weaponry on it, and just basically to teach them all a lesson if they need to, and then you know re uh, reconnect everything. But yeah, it's it's like you've got the two parts of the ship. You've got the the cruising ship, which is the saucer, and the battleship, which is the star drive section. Uh, they they only use it in is it three or four times in total. I think they separate the uh, Enterprise D. Maybe maybe because it's um. I mean, they they make a lot in the pilot episode, don't they? they there's a there's a lot made of the separation and the kind of yes. putting the ship back together. Probably a little bit too much, maybe. Um, but um, it, it's 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 a really impressive idea and design, and I think they 
I wish they'd done more of it, certainly, yeah. certainly over, the, over the course of the series. But yeah, it's a really, really great concept. I like how the interpro- the battle bridge looks like uh, kind of a movie era Kirk. It's, it's there's no feels the... about it. It's just there to do, do it to, to, to do its job. Uh, I think I saw somewhere that it's the same set. Um, it makes sense. Yeah, it's um, the battle bridge set is. I'm pretty sure the same set that's used in Star Trek Four for the bridge of the Enterprise right at the end of the film. Okay. But I could be wrong on that one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's why they're very similar. So you get this wonderful, gorgeous shot of the Enterprise. Then you get Picard walking around, around the ship, and you get all the his engineer, and there's a bridge. I like that you, there's Worf on the bridge as a Klingon, but there's, there's, no, there's no big deal made out. It's like, oh, there's a Klingon. It's just like he's just there. And I, yeah, I, he's I just really part of the crew. Yeah, and that, that was, a, that was a, nice, a nice bit. But you get this very stilted dialogue with Data. He's a robotic life form. So we're not going to make a big deal out of war for a Klingon mothership. But we're going to have Picard's almost... He's always very condescending towards uh, Data, isn't he? In that kind of opening dialogue, kind of uh, as, as, as um, Data kind of assesses what Picard's saying. Yeah. I, I think it was very stilted, yeah. Yeah, you're right, because... Um, it- it sort of feels like he's talking to a child. And I said, wouldn't, yes. you f- wouldn't you feel that um, this this is is a mystery? And of course, Data turns around and just goes, "Well, no, solve the mystery of Farpoint Station." <laughs> um, yeah. But then there's the whole thing about w- what's the word he uses? Or we'll we'll take or we'll sneak. Sneak, um, yes. Yeah, and Data then becomes a thesaurus as he just reels <laughs> yes. off lots of different other meanings yeah. of it. You saying about um, being condescending? Did you ever read any of the Next Generation books? I haven't. No, I'm not, no. Um, I haven't read that many, but the first couple, Riker is really condescending to Data, which is surprising. Yeah. But yeah, he treats him. He treats him really nastily in some of the early Next Generation books. When Riker meets Data later on, he's very condescending, and I think. Data calls him out on it, and he doesn't 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 kind of shoot the idea down. He's like he doesn't trust Data. He finds him a bit weird, and I think there is that very much sense of no one's particularly comfortable with Data on 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 the ship. Um, and I think it's something that kind of goes away, and you get that growth. Obviously, by the time you get to Picard and the legacy of Data, there's such a fondness for for the character for, mm. by 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 the other characters, particularly Picard himself. But and that's obviously nice character growth there. But yeah, everyone's a bit, what a bit of a dictator at the beginning. No, no one particularly likes him, and they all they all talk down to him like a child. And um, for the idea of this kind of open future where everyone's accepted, it, it's like why wouldn't you accept a synthetic life form? You know, it's. You know, particularly one who has proven himself, who's worked way through his staff at Starfleet ranks. You know, has got to the position he is in now. I don't know if it's established that he's the um, third in command at this point, is he? But um, no, I don't think so. But, it, but yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I, th- I think as well, it's because people at the time might have still been familiar with original series had androids. I think it might have been that distrust carrying on, but get over it there's been like 80 90 years since then so what exactly you 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 make that point to show there's nothing odd about wharf being a Klingon on the ship when actually as you find out that it is still quite unique at that point yeah. and then you have the whole their treatment of data just seems very out of place there's some there is some very kind of stilted ideas that don't quite work in the early next generation i think they smooth those out as they as they went along the other thing as well is data is obviously the first of his kind because mm. by that point you don't know about law you don't know about 
uh, before. You don't know about Sung or any of his research at that point. So, you know, Data was a bit of a one of a kind. They knew about the Klingons, but they didn't know that much about androids. And he was very much a race of one. So maybe that was part of it. But again, we're talking maybe. about prejudice. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, when you get things like Measure of a Man, you, you recognise there is prejudice there. And it's it's yeah. actually not quite so um, clean cut as you always like to think, that, which, which is really interesting. The other thing in the opening scenes is Troy and a cheerleader uniform. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of... What, what are your opinions of Troy in the pilot episode? Um, all I can say is that Troy gets better. Um, yes. <laughs> but in the first episode, she doesn't really come across as that interesting. She's telepathic as well in the first mm. one um, because she's got that moment where she talks to Riker in her mind um, and they completely do away with that later on and she just becomes empathic rather than telepathic. But I think telepathic might have been the way to go with her and being more interesting mm. character traits. Yeah, I agree. When you think of like the Troy you get in, in Nepenthe from Picard, you know, I love I think it's her best episode. She's so yeah. so good and so warm. And towards it, you know, when, when she Troy gets better when she actually gets a stuff at uniform, I think, and then the last couple of seasons she's much more relaxed and the movies. Um I, I, I do love the character of Troy, but they didn't know what to do with her because this this version of Troy in the pilot episode is different to any other version of Troy you see in the, in the show, and uh, it's 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 a weird one. The the look is the look is slightly odd. The performance is slightly odd. The abilities are slightly odd. Um, the accent, the accent, yes. And where does the accent come from? I, I, I don't I don't know because you know we know it's not her natural accent. Um, she's she's still quite she has this quite cold accent in the first season. She mellows a bit as well as it goes on, mm. but but yeah, it's it's very very breathless kind of almost to kind of go almost exotic tone to her, but it it doesn't really work. And I think Marina Sirtis has said that she finds the performance in the in the first episode. A bit embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I think I, I read that somewhere. I don't know if that's true or not. There's so much melodrama in, in her performance, and yeah. it's it, it's it, it does border on irritating. Not mm -hmm. as irritating as Tasha Yar, sorry, but I think. I liked Denise Cosby. I loved her in Yesterday's Enterprise and when she played Sela. I mean, mm. But uh, it's only the pilot episode. And I think she does mellow a little bit as she goes along. And she was yeah. so much potential with her. Is that she's very tough, but very earnest and over the top her performance. And I think it's not so. I don't, I don't think it's Denise Cosby's fault as such. I think the way the character was directed and written in, the, in these, these early episodes. Uh, well, Tasha was based on the aliens character of Vasquez. Vasquez, that's the one, yeah. But she doesn't have that grit of, of Vasquez. Vasquez is a great character. And I think mm. Denise Cosby is actually. She's got a much more gentle performance to her. I think when she's got those gentler moments, she she can be really good. But then when she gets really earnest and really tough and passionate, it's a, it, uh, it doesn't work for me. Would you have liked to have seen where her character would have gone if she hadn't left the show? Would you have liked to have seen what Tasha Yar of season five or six would have been like? 
absolutely. I think Tasha could be a really interesting character in herself. And I think, and you saw that in yesterday's Enterprise, when she got to play her slightly more reserved, she was still she, she was still very much a military character in yesterday's Enterprise because there was, there was a whole Klingon war going on that alternate reality. But I think in yesterday's Enterprise, you see the Tasha Yar that we should have got. Yeah, and I, I don't, and I, I think she suffered that she went, she went to Denise Crosby. I know she decided to leave, but she left too soon. I think, I think, I don't know if the actress regrets leaving, but I think there was there was a lot of potential with her. Don't get me wrong, I think Denise Tasha leaving allows Worf to step into that chief security officer's shoes and gives him something to do. Worf is just there being Klingony. Yeah, exactly. First season, uh, and, and I like, I like, I like. Uh, Wolf. His forehead is massive in this in this first <laughs> It's a huge one. It's like yeah, you've, you've got Troy in a big hair and Wolf on his big forehead. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a there's a weird um, visual was visuals it, in 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 the first first episode. But yeah, wasn't his forehead stolen after the first season or something? And that's why oh, they maybe. they changed uh, they slightly changed his look so it became a bit uh, a bit less big on his forehead but i'm sure i read somewhere that it, it was either stolen or it it was damaged or something and they had to yeah. do it again i like wharf in this one but but he's wharf being he's being klingony like like the other that sign and and now a personal quest to clean up the bridge is great line i love it when when he when he tries to take out q and then he gets shot down later on for trying to shoot the view screen it's, it's great <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 Worf being Worf, and he's still Klingon, and I think that's what I always liked about Worf is that he's still very much a Klingon in in the next generation era sense. You know, I think yeah. the Klingons did change; they changed in the movies, didn't they? I think, and uh, not just visually, but in the way they acted as well. And I think Worf is very much a good extension of that. And I think he, um, yeah, he's one of the greatest characters, and and I love him in Next Generation. I love him on DS Nine as well, and I would love to see him back. Aren't there rumours that he's actually Captain Enterprise E at the Picard era? That's, that's the rumour going round. If the Enterprise um, E is still going. If it's still going, yeah. I'd love to see the Enterprise E at least one more time, but anyway, that, that, that's, that's kind of <laughs> for the future. But yeah, I, I, I like Worf, but I think because you've got Worf being Klingon nurse and then you've got Tashiar going, yes, and me too, and I'm earning it. And it's like, it's just, I just find the whole passion doesn't work. I think Denise Crosby is such a better actress when she's softer in in her approach. The the two characters as well are too similar because you've got Walt, you've got Tasha, and you've got the two um, basically flip sides of the same coin. And yeah, you're absolutely right when Tasha left. And I'll be honest with you, I, I did like Tasha a lot, but I was a teenage boy when Tasha Yar came on the screen. So there's other reasons why I like Tasha Yar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'd quite like Tasha. But I've got to agree that her leaving the show meant Worf had a much bigger role to play going forward. And mm. I don't think we'd have had Worf have the story that he did if Tasha was still on the show um, yeah. going into season two. Definitely. And did you also know that um, the, one of the reasons that Troy stuck around is because it's because um, Tashiar left. I was at 
Destination Star Trek a couple of years ago and uh, Marina Sertz was on stage and she was talking about the idea that Gene Waterbury had this idea that mental health was cured in the, in the 24th century like everything else, which you talked about, you talk, you know, we talked about the, the amount of stuff that these characters go through, you know, and, and I know it's going to be something I'm going to explore in a future podcast as well, but it's, um, you know, these, these characters go through so much trauma, so much suffering, they would absolutely be, at the very least, they would be you know, post-traumatic stress, you know, and that kind of thing coming out of all the situations they face. But Gene Wadaby was adamant, no, there's no mental health issues in the 24th century. And yet they put a counsellor on the ship. And they put a counsellor on And and I I like there was a counsellor because these characters do go through stuff. I think they should have done more of that, actually. And they don't, they Mm. didn't actually do enough. And and Guinan kind of comes in and fills that role as well, which, but apparently Marina Sertz was saying that it looked like she was probably going to be fired by the end of the first season, and then Denise Cosby decided to leave, and then Gates McFadden left for one season. Mm. There was a whole story around that as well. That's the reason she stayed. And I wonder if maybe if Denise Cosby hadn't left, whether we would have had Troy from season two onwards. And I love the character of Troy, the way she develops. When Marina Sirius is able to be much more comfortable in the role and get out those silly tight cat suits and be all cold and clinical and stuff, and she can actually be the warm the warmth of Marina Sirtis and coming to the performance of Troy, which it does do, she becomes a much more interesting and endearing character. And I think she's an essential part of the crew. And um, and the idea that she may have gone would have, been, would, have been, would have been a loss. But as you said, Tasha Yar could have been a really interesting character had she stayed as well. And I think they would have found something to do with Worf. I'm sure they could have found a way to do that. But... Yeah, I think yesterday's Enterprise was when you saw the potential of Tashia, and it's a shame that we uh, we never got to see any more of that. Yeah, I, I completely Definitely. agree. Okay, you mentioned Crusher just a moment ago, yes. so I've got to ask you then. Uh, we've had a war for um, uh, war for Tasha. Let me ask you the question: Crusher or Pulaski? Oh, there's a in in. Traditional fandom is always Crusher, and I know there's a growing love for Pulaski out there now. And I like Pulaski. I, I I kind of I'm a traditionalist, and I do like Crusher. But again, I like Crusher later on. Mm. I think Pulaski is such a great character, and I wish she she'd come back. Maybe she'd been. I don't know where she would have fitted in because I like Dr. Bashir and I like the the holographic Doctor. But I would love to see more of Pulaski. Yeah, and me. Um, Pulaski's I can... a great character. She brings really, really strength to the performance, and 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 really helps. I mean, between the the addition of Guinan and Pulaski in season two is what really helps develop, makes season two step out the shadow of the kind of very much a weaker season one. But yeah, I I, th- I think I think overall I'm going to say Crusher. I uh, like the relationship with Picard, which is a bit it's weird in this episode. The the whole Crusher in this episode is a little weird. Uh, I find I find the performance a bit odd, but um. Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm going to say Crusher. I'm sure you're going to say Pulaski. No, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to go with Crusher on that one. Um, yeah. I I find myself warming a bit more to Pulaski recently because mm. Doctor Tana from Lower Decks reminds me so much of Pulaski yes. and what Pulaski. Yes. I, I think if Pulaski was allowed to get away with swearing, she'd probably have swore as much <laughs> as Doctor Tana does. Oh yeah. Anyway. We're, we're, Shall we briefly talk about some of the other characters uh, mm. that we're introduced to? Um, because I can see that the time on the uh, on the episode is marching on, and we haven't really spoken about the episode that much. We're talking <laughs> about the characters. Yeah. What was your take on Geordie? 
Not a huge amount in this episode. I think he he gets the the one exposition scene about his visor with Crusher, which kind of worked because it's Crusher giving him his medical assessment, so that kind of works. But Geordie's just kind of there in the first mm. episode. I like him, and I like LeVar Bird's performance. I'm always trying to quite lively but not over the top performance is quite endearing but he doesn't really get much to do he's again he, his first scene Riker treats him like a dick yeah <laughs> and, and... there's a weird thing going for this one episode where they ha- when they you talk about no conflict there's a lot of conflict between the characters in this episode but for no real reason yeah and i think when he... right yeah i was just going to say when he turns up he's saying oh the enterprise is reporting into orbit uh it coming into orbit and Riker just said is this an what was it is this an official, official ensign uh or lieutenant um yeah. and you see Geordie sort of snap to attention and deliver it and I think yeah. that's weird but um, it is weird so yeah I, I guess I find this this is one thing I'm at the con we're talking about the characters and the episode then to kind of be together I yeah. find Crusher in this is really cold. She's really, really cold with Riker when you first meet him and very distant. You've got Wesley talking for her in that first scene where you meet Crusher, Riker and and um and Wesley. And it's a it's a weird, weird scene. She's very aloof and very dismissive. A lot of the characters, you know, Wesley speaks for her, she ignores Riker. And then later on, she's really, really cold with the captain as well. And I guess there's probably supposed to be that drama. Of, they probably haven't seen each other since Picard brought her dead husband's mm. body home. And there's a little bit of an interesting, interesting history there. But it's just she's very, very cold. And it, I, I found it really weird. Um, I also found Picard being horrible to Riker. It just is weird. When Riker eventually goes on the ship... Picard doesn't even look at him. He goes, they've had this whole incident where they've had the big trial, this 21st century trial, and I think the one thing I'll say on that, I love Q, Q and the the uh, the whole um, judge outfit. It's such a great look, but... Yes, we didn't touch it, on that, it, but it, you, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great... Maybe we'll come back if we've got time, but when when you get when you get to... that After that first half hour, we established the trial of humanity, and you've had a great scene with Q, you then get... Riker beams up onto the Enterprise. He marched onto the battle bridge. Tashi won't talk to him. And then they go, go and watch this clip show of the last half hour. So Riker sits at a sits at a monitor watching the events of the first half hour of the episode. Yeah. Which is weird. While Picard won't even look at him. And then... It's like, and then he tells him to do a manual docking. Yeah, it's like... It's like so I want to test you if you can if you can actually do this properly. It's like... Why? Why? Where is this drama coming from? Why is Picard being a right ass, asshole to to his to his first officer? Yeah, and also as well the um, uh, oh, does a captain's life mean nothing to you then? Yes. Yeah. There, there's, there's this is weird strange. tension. It's it's weird. You Riker's addicted to Geordie. Picard's addicted to Riker. <laughs> You've got um, Crusher being aloof to everyone. You've got Tasha being over earnest. You've got Troy. Um, with her. Which becomes too much. And it's like, a lot of it needs to be toned back. It's all very stilted. And I think, I don't know if that's the direction, maybe, or if it's where, or the script, because the actors, that, that's all great. I mean, there's, there's not, Marina Sirtis and, 
and Denise Crosby struggle with their struggle with the deliveries on the, in this first episode. They, mm. there's, there's too much, but I think that's the direction. If you dial it back a bit, it could have done very well. You know, later on, Marina Search does show that she can, you know, she does that kind of sense and emotion thing quite well, but it's it's too much in this first episode. And, uh, and the only the only one is probably spot on, but really spot on is is Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is great from the start. He doesn't he he because he's got that Shakespearean background. He can handle the the over the top moments. He can handle that kind of standoff with Q. And he and he 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 is is great. I think you know there's one if you, the one big take from the pilot episode is Patrick Stewart is absolutely brilliant as Captain Picard. Yeah, but even even Picard um, gets better over time as well, and uh, you see yeah. you see him sort of loosen up. And Patrick Stewart himself has said that mm. um, in the first couple of seasons he was trying to do everything professionally mm. and by the book, and he mm. the Next Generation cast were very much a laughy, jokey crew, and Patrick yeah. Stewart used to get quite annoyed by them messing around and being unprofessional. And by the by the end of it, he was one of the first ones to start winding everyone up. And you can see how much the character sort of softened that just in the first mm. episode of Picard, where he comes in with the dog and you can see there's a much warmer Picard there, much friendlier Definitely. Picard. So Yeah. Can we talk about seeing Dr. McCoy in that episode as well? Yes. If you got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. No, sir. But at your age, sir, I thought you shouldn't have to put up with the time and trouble of a shuttlecraft. Hold it right there, boy. Sir? What about my age? Sorry, sir. If that subject troubles you. Troubles me? What's so damn troublesome about not having died? How old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. I loved it. Yeah, as I said earlier on, I um I hadn't seen much of the original series, but I knew who Dr. McCoy was, I knew who Amish McGran loved him as well. And yeah, seeing him in that episode to hand over the baton to the new next generation crew, mm. I thought, yes, that is perfect. So yeah, it's so lovely, happy to yeah. see him. It was. It was lovely. You do. You, you get an every every Star Trek series of, of the next generation era has that bat, a character passing the baton on. He feels like a hundred and thirty seven year old man with all this kind of wisdom, but but still that kind of grit of of McCoy as well. And I, I'm very fond of McCoy, particularly in the movies. And I think he absolutely conveys that now in 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 this scene with Data. It, it's it's a lovely scene. I think the music is cheesy. It's cheese with cheese sauce baked in cheese. It is the the music is <laughs> well. This is a new ship. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. And she'll always bring it home. There's a lot of, lot of that that music as they as they walk along at the end, and you kind mm. of you, it, it's 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 a bit too much again. Treat it like a lady. Actual, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's that that the whole the whole dialogue with Data and that kind of obviously Data being very much the spot character of the next mm-hmm. generation. It's, it's 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 a great way to kind of have them together and and team him up. I think it works better than having him with Picard or 
or Crusher the Doctor or anything else. But I think because McCoy and Spock's relationship is probably one of the best things about the original series and the movies. Yeah. And to kind of they, they very much tap into that, don't they, with, with, with his kind of connection with Data too. I don't see any uh, pointed ears on you, boy. But uh, yeah, no. it's, um, <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect pairing. And I'm so glad that they got to Forrest Kelly. Apparently, um, he only worked for um, for like the standard wage uh, of a day rate day actor. Um, and considering who he was, he could have demanded mm. so much more. But he said, no, no, I'll I'll just take standard day um, day rates for that. So hats oh, off lovely. for him. The other thing before we can get, get into the kind of the dramatics of, of the episode as well is that we, we, we get the introduction to the holodeck as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you just want your own holodeck? Absolutely. I think, yeah, if you could have any Star Trek technology, would it be the holodeck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. Yes, I would. That's my yeah. one piece of Star Trek technology I'd like, please. Yeah. You know, there's a sense with 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 the, the way the Enterprise D looks, and the, and the there's a sense of we have that we have the budget, we have the effects, we can do Star Trek properly now, as opposed to the kind of the kind of wobbly sets of the '60s. But I mean, this is this is where, where it's really shown Star Trek has moved on, and we can we can give Star Trek the budget it deserves. Um, I know it's obviously it, obviously the, the idea of Hordex, you can you can have like film on location while still having it in a starship but it really gets a sense of this kind of two worlds merging and i think it's very very it's very very pretty as well to look at yeah and it just gives it gives them a chance to do something else as well it's um Mm. you know when we saw sherlock holmes when we saw dixon hill and obviously from other episodes later on in other star trek you know it's uh the actors are coming on they're still being in star trek but they're being something else. They're being a private detective. They're they're acting in Victorian England. Mm. They're in a Wild West. They're doing Serrano de Bergerac. They're doing Shakespeare, yeah. and it's still all Star Trek. It is. It, it's a it's a great storytelling opportunity. Are you, are you a fan of horror deck episodes? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I know. I know. There's um. A group of fans out there that go, yeah, but they only do the do holodeck episodes because they want the holodeck going wrong. I said, yeah, but it's a great storyline anyway. It is it's a good great, story. It, it's a great thing to hang a story from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you always get episodes like Haven for um, and Spirit Folk from Voyager, so it does go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or or even um, Janeway being the nanny or whatever she was in those episodes. Well, absolutely. I was listening to the fellow Holosuite Media podcast uh, recently on the season one episode when when they introduced that, and yeah, it's uh, it, it's just dire. Some 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 of the ideas. I I don't think apart from Captain Proton, I don't think Voyage ever really got the hard egg. Next Generation did a lot with it. I think DS Nine had some good ones like the we we talked about um our our man Bashir. Yeah, I think in in a teaser that we podcast. And yeah. I think people get up to a bit more on Quark's Hollow Suites than they would on the Enterprise. Well, holodeck. yeah, Quark, Quark's Quark's are a horrible story. That that's that's the seedy side of the uh, yeah the worst uh, you, worst job in Star Trek is the person who cleans the holodeck. Sorry, <laughs> I had to say it. Uh, absolutely, yes, yeah, definitely. But yeah, it it it's it's all it's all clean and clinical here on on the Enterprise D. So that's that's fine. Yes, absolutely. The one thing I didn't get about the about the holodeck though is, and I was going to change it later. Wesley comes out the holodeck dripping wet, but the the water is is holographic. So would he be wet when he walked to the holodeck? I don't think he would, but 
Ah, but they did say something about it on the episode uh, in Encounter at Farpoint, because um, I was actually quite surprised to hear it today, whether it's a bit of a Mandela effect. And I said, so every, um, and Riker says, so everything on here is simulated. And Data says, sort of, but the rocks and the trees are very basic patterns, sort of hinting at things like that would be replicated as opposed to simulated. So, yes, there would be a pool of water for Wesley to get wet in. Okay. I, so, I, I, I thought we've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a podcast on holodeck technology coming up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we probably do. We do. Cool. So we've, we've talked a lot, about the, we've, a lot about the characters, the introduction there, the great concept of Q as well, and, and putting humanity on trial. So then we get, I guess, we get to the mystery of Farpoint Station as well, don't we, then? So the mystery of which is supposed to be such a compelling mystery that this is, by solving this mystery, it's going to prove humanity deserves to be among the stars. Is the mystery of Farpoint Station that good a mystery? Um, I, I like the idea of the fact that Farpoint Station would just give them what they wanted. So, mm. um, you know, is it Rikers looking for an apple and suddenly there's a bowl of apples on the table? Yeah. And that bolt of fabric that Crush is looking at suddenly has got gold in it, not just purple. Um, I, I'm not quite sure where that was coming from with the creature, because I thought, yeah, if, if you're a captive creature, would you really be want to be trying to make their lives easier? Yeah. I know, I know, obviously that there was the whole punishment thing, and Zorn was punishing mm. the creature if the creature didn't do what he wanted them to do. But um, no, you think that he'd maybe be a bit, the creature would be a bit less sort of, well, a bit more reluctant to do things like that. So, definitely. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a bit of a weird mystery. It's interesting. I think when, you, when, you, when they actually solve the mystery at the end and they discover the second alien creature, um, Q does go, maybe, maybe the mystery was too simple. Generosity was also, always my downfall. It's almost to say, what, if the mystery isn't that good, that's the reason I'm getting out of it. It's actually yeah. not quite quite as compelling mystery uh, as you as you would like. I, I I do like the idea of of what this the station being something else entirely, and there's some, there's some really in, some interesting ideas there. Um, definitely, I don't I don't think it's quite the mystery to prove that humanity deserves to be among the stars, but I think there, there's there's certainly a good narrative hook there for the characters to get to delve into. And basically, give them all a chance to kind of show their investigative chops, I guess, in the in the in the pilot episode. Mm, yeah, uh, I mean, there is a whole other aspect. The original concept for it was was quite different, and I think it's much more mystery of Farpoint uh, than what we eventually got. Definitely, I think they, they play up the Q angle certainly a lot more, didn't they? The pacing is slightly off in the in the last hour. We've got we've got a lot of them wandering around tunnels and the, the same explosions happening over and over again on the Bandai settlement as well, and and Troy feeling the pain, the terrible pain. All there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. In, <laughs> it goes on and on and on. Like, the first half hour is really good pacing. Then you get a lot of the character introductions. The, it kind of goes up and down a bit. I think at this point, um, mm. pays off quite well. You do get that random scene where they're about to go on their away mission, but then first Picard stops at Crusher's office to kind of introduce himself again, and it's a little bit, little bit, little bit odd into the pacing. But um, but yeah, there's a, there's a there's a good mystery there. And the last yeah. thing I wanted to point out was the the continued mentions of all the Ferengi Alliance. Could it be the Ferengi? <gasps> Should I deal with the Ferengi? Oh, who are the Ferengi Alliance? Uh, and that was um, a big disappointment, I guess. 
Yeah, well, they obviously wanted to put the, the Ferengi as the as the big bad of the series, um, and uh, that goes on for a few episodes as well, where they're saying, oh, it's the Ferengi, and then suddenly you meet the Ferengi, and um, I know Armin Shimmerman has said since he, he wanted to right the wrongs done with um, the Ferengi in his first episode, which is why he made Quark such a captivating character mm. for Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But yeah, suddenly after the last outpost, that whole thing about the Ferengi being a, a very, very dangerous and uh, unpleasant race is sort of quickly put to one side. Funnily that. It is, yeah. I love the Ferengi in DS9. I think they do some really good work with them, but I know Armin Schumann and Iris Stephen Bear as well, who did a lot of the Ferengi mm-hmm. stuff in DS9, wanted to rehabilitate them. We'll talk about the Ferengi in the future, but they're 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 not they're not great. And I think this and in hindsight, in the pilot episode, this constant allusions of could this be the Ferengi? I'm going to deal with the Ferengi then. It's all like, ooh, they are the Klingons. No, they're, they're really not the Klingons. Um but hey, at least next generation came up with the Borg, so they redeemed themselves in that in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, would you like to hear the original concept for what Let's Star Trek the yes. next generation uh, sorry, for Encounter at Farpoint would have been? No. Uh, you probably already know this, but the uh, the first episode was originally only meant to have been an hour long. Uh, so when DC Fontana submitted the script, it was very much a story of Farpoint. And it was when the studio said, no, we want to make the next generation's pilot episode two hours. They had to go away and write this whole thing with Q as sort of a frame in motion. That, that That's why sometimes Encounter at Farpoint feels like two stories. You've got the Q story and you've got the Farpoint story. Mm. But um, this, uh, I'll quote from Larry Nemechek's excellent Star Trek The Next Generation companion here and give you some insight into what the original episode would have been. This is when it would have been an hour-long episode. So, yeah. uh, Fontana's more action-oriented original outline concerned a being captured by a simian race known as the Anoi. The captor- captors built an orbiting gun platform around the alien, intending to use it to fuel their dreams of expansion, while feeding the prisoner just enough of the mineral balmine to keep it alive. The USS Starseeker arrives with the Enterprise, but is destroyed after opening fire when the Annoy demand the two crews beam down, surrender, and become balmine gatherers. As part of an away team sent to disable the platform, Troy makes mental contact with a captive entity and persuades it to crash land on the planet, while her people will help it to free itself by leading a prisoner's revolt. In later drafts, the people would become uh, would come to be called the Ane, and the starship opening would be deleted, but many of the plot points and character introductions can be seen in this earliest concept. What do you think of that as a first episode instead? It's a very different episode, isn't it? And I think, yeah. I think that first half hour is the best part of, of I think of of Encanto at Farpoint. Yes. So I think I think the addition of Q is 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 the best thing they, they could have done. But I think there's definitely an interesting idea there. So wasn't there gonna be another first officer that gets killed as well in there? Um sorry yeah, I the paper. I think his name I wrote his name down. So his name was um Kyle Summers was gonna be the first officer who then becomes captain of the ship and gets his, and then I assume that's where Riker steps in as well. So I guess the idea of introducing a second in command and then killing them off in, in, in the show would have been quite an interesting concept as well. Yeah. But yeah well, Voyager a, picked that up obviously because they did. they did that. They killed off the first officer and the chief medical officer in the first mm. episode. I guess it feels a little bit more like old school Star Trek. 
mm. I think the 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 original concept. But then DC Fontana um, wrote for, she was the she was also one of the writers of the original Star Trek, wasn't she? So script editor as well, I believe. Yeah, so she was she's she's done a lot of amazing work mm. in sci-fi um, on, on TV as well, and. Um, she wrote the amazing episode of the animated series yesteryear as well. Okay, yeah. So there's, there's a lot from her. I mean, she was, but maybe that's why I guess that concept and I guess some of the episode itself feels very kind of like a continuation of the sixties series because it's very much the sensibilities that were in place at the, at the time. It's it, it, it definitely would be an interesting idea. Um, a very very different first episode, but possibly a much more exciting one if it had been an hour long as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So, are we going to score? episodes that we watch let, let, let's go for it yeah so um okay so we're with the classic out of 10 for encounter at far out, out of 10 yeah so what's let's your go score for, for encounter at far i would go for four? seven points <laughs> oh, four. it's not that bad no um oh, it's a hard one there's some great stuff and some not so great stuff in there i think it's it's probably a seven out of ten Maybe, I'm going to go... What would you give it? I'd probably give it a six. I really love the Q stuff, like mm. you said. I think the bandy storyline uh, with Farpoint Station didn't quite do it for me. I thought it. No. I thought the Q thing was much more interesting. Even when I did the rewatch in preparation for this, I got as far as watching the end of the Q storyline and then thought, ah... I've got to go through the bandy storyline now. And it was it was a little bit disappointing. But, yeah, I'll go with six. I'm going to give it a seven because I love the Q stuff. But it's if you took out the Q stuff, it would be, it would be a lot lower. So I, I guess we're going to um, expand on Q in, in the, our next podcast, aren't we? And kind of not look at this in the next episode with Q in, which is hiding Q, but flesh out his story over the course of the next generation because he's such a pivotal character, isn't he? Yeah. It'd be good to talk about more Q story next time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more about Q because he is uh, one of the best recurring characters in all of Star Trek, not mm. just Next Generation. There's a lot to cover there. We've just heard that Picard Season 2 is going to have the return of the legendary John Delancey as Q. Very exciting, yeah, can't wait for that. So lots about Q and some thoughts from us yeah. on what we want to see in Picard Season 2. In the meantime, I hope you everyone enjoyed the podcast. Remember, well, you can find us at Beyond Farpoint on Twitter and Podchaser and our Facebook page, Beyond Farpoint 2. Um, we'll be back next month to, say, to talk about Q. Uh, in the meantime, where can we find you on, uh, online, Jeff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Usually I am at NCC underscore 17 Formula 1. I'm also a motorsport fan, so you may find me blithering on about... Um, uh, Formula One on there as well so but that's, find, that's where to find me but you can find me as well on Twitter at Baz Grant. thank you all for listening and thank you and we'll move back to talk more about the next generation let's see what's out there engage This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. I don't know what Picard is doing between the Stargazer 
and the Enterprise D. So how do you go from abandoning a ship to getting given the flagship? But <laughs> ten years passes. <laughs> yeah, he lost the other one. So but here's a really special one. And here's the best part: we're going to put families and children on it. Yeah, because <laughs> we know that you're so good at taking care of starships. Yeah. I don't know how he got the ship and what was he doing in the time in between. I don't think he had another command before the Enterprise I D. Don't know. I, d- I don't know. I'm sure someone will let me know. We have quite a few TNG fans who listen to the show, actually, so maybe they'll tell me. But no spoilers, guys. No spoilers. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and, and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene, driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.